Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And congratulations, the Philadelphia Eagles are the world champions. That's pretty cool. It makes it sound like they beat Vietnam, <laughs> Australia, New Zealand. That's right. They won risk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm interviewing Douglas Campbell for Give and Take. Very good New Testament. I mean, really groundbreaking. A big name New Testament studies at Duke. And he is from New Zealand. And a friend, I told a friend who knows him, I'm, I'm interviewing him. good questions. Ask, ask him if... if um, such and such, I forget what it was, but what show is a representative, a good representative of New Zealand? So apparently he has. I think it was Lost. No, Lost is in Australia. What thing was it? I just uh, killed my own joke. I know you did. Yeah. Flight of the Concords? Flight, that was. It was yeah, Flight of the Concords. It was. Ding, it was ding, ding, ding. I've never watched it. it was, oh, it, Flight it, of the Concords is funny. I mean, it was Ask if they fly, <laughs> which apparently they asked me to ask him about two things get him going about NT Wright. <laughs> and Flight of the Concords. Yeah, that's funny. So there you go. There we are. Yeah. Now, Flight of the Concords, was, it was funny. It was uh, these two guys that, uh, that did kind of funny music. Uh, they, You could tell they had enough material for three shows. <laughs> and extended it? Well, yeah. And then it just kind of, the first three shows are hilarious, but then it gets, uh, uh, yeah, it, it got it not quite as funny. But it was, yeah, it should, it's on HBO on demand. Should watch it. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've heard of the sh- about the yeah, show, and yeah. I, I just never have gotten yeah. into it. But so, congratulations to the Eagles. And yeah, it was amazing. It was, um, you know, I have been watching Super Bowls ever since I was a kid, and uh, was a Steeler fan in the seventies. It may be the one of the most. It, it may have been the best Super Bowl game of all time. Oh, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> so John Heilman on Morning Joe this morning said, "Joe, because they were floating in between the dissolution of the democracy." <laughs> Devin Nunez and the Eagles. Yeah. And <laughs> says, Joe, let me just say, if I had told you that the, that, that Brady will throw for like 500 yards and the Patriots will not prevail, the Eagles would, you'd say I'm a mental case. Yeah. No. And I, yet that is what happened. Exactly. I what mean, happened. that's what's amazing about Well, Pope. yeah. I, I actually, you know, I think, uh, Doug Peterson, um, uh, coach of the Eagles, I uh, did, you know, all of us who've been watching our teams lose to the Patriots and as a Steeler fan, I've watched that too, way too many times. And <clears throat> is that he did what you always got to do. You can't stop. And he kept his foot on the throttle. He, he showed no fear. Uh, you know, some crazy plays, but, uh, I, I actually think uh, you take away the quarterback, Tom Brady, and you take away their tight end and the Eagles. Uh, uh, Gronkowski, the Eagles are, were more talented, I think, on almost every position on the field. And Nick Foles has, has been playing out of his mind during the, well, at least the last two games. And, Who wants to be a pastor, I heard, when he retires. Yeah, I heard that, heard that too. Yeah. So that's not the only thing I've heard about Foles on the internet <laughs> recent and the t shirts that are, uh, well, I, you know, it's a great, uh, I mean, it's a movie, you, you know, I, uh, it's, uh, you know, the Eagles losing their quarterback, Lentz going down, Nick Foles, the Nick Foles story, you know, it'll probably be one of those cheesy Christian movies someday, but, uh, it's, I don't think with the t-shirts floating around on Broad Street, it's going to be, <laughs> well, a, a, I, a, they're not going to, they're not, they're not going to use those t-shirts. It's not going to, I don't think t- they're not going to use those, they're not going to use those t-shirts. college stories and these, all right, let, but, let, let's just say Nick was not the, um, which I don't begrudge him. I mean, he was, right. he was not, uh. He was, Bill, in your language, more of a Lutheran. <laughs> by, by the way, I just want to say, Bill, before, you know, I don't want to jump the gun on the game, but I want to talk about, I was thinking about this because we've seen, I mean, listening to the Stern tapes, I mean, the comments, 
uh, a lot of people want to do things that are, I think are unconscionable to Brady's wife. And apparently, given what? What? Got lots of the fans, as they were interviewed along the street, want to have uh, a lot of they want to do to Brady's wife. And also, apparently, as I listened to the field interviews with the fans, some of which just threw beers in these interviewers on the, on the field. It seems like, given our fans' testimony, that Brady has an unnatural relationship with his own mother, <laughs> given how he was talked about. So I thought the only answer for... Also, an ostrich was stolen from the zoo. I mean, these are things... Our own city... The only thing for this kind of destruction when you win is, in this mostly Catholic city, and full of Pentecostals also, who are... you know, Well, but, well we would be a lot large... We, we got a Mormon temple. We got a Mormon temple. They almost have been Lutherans. There we go. <laughs> how, how could you, you... just can't let it go. How, you just can't let it go. How could you account for this kind of... can't let it go. How can you account over this kind of wanton missed, destruction? You missed the point. You missed unless the point. they're Lutherans. You missed the point. So, anyway. Good news for the ELCA. <laughs> you, you have all these on-the-ground Lutherans. Bad, I think bad behavior can influence bad theology. <laughs> what, is, wait, what, was, what is the theology behind the stealing of the ostrich? I, that was so random. I don't think. I don't think. I, th- I don't think there's theological reasons for everything. Yes, I mean, like, how do you get access to the ostrich? I don't know, man. It's kind of like what was that in uh, Hangover? Stealing Mike Tyson's tiger. Yeah, but yeah. an ostrich would be well. An ostrich can be ill-tempered. Camel spit. What do ostrich? Can, ostrich kick. Didn't Johnny Cash get run down by an ostrich? <laughs> yeah, he actually did. I think. He, he had a bout with painkillers and stuff. Like Billy Graham visited him during that bout or something. So if you can run down Johnny Cash. No, they're fast. Yeah. Ostriches move quickly. They can't fly like an eagle. But No, they can't fly like an eagle. Like you, well, your, your theory was that you think that if you squash, if you squash, squash them neck, up, it looks like an, it eagle. Looks like an eagle. I think if you're high as a kite, maybe it looks like an eagle. And, uh, but anyway, well, hey, uh, if, if you guys, no questions asked, bring the ostrich, ostrich back. back. Yeah. And if yeah. you're not, you're an antinomian. <laughs> <laughs> our Lutheran city. Or yeah. maybe they could be Munsterites. <laughs> Munsterites. <laughs> the new kingdom has begun. Here we are. Uh, I don't know. You know, if you hang a few cages up, it adds something to the decor. Maybe we should put a few cages in the back, like in honor of the Munster Chapel. They put that's where they left the cages. I, I would like that. Yeah. By the way, we do have a fly, we do have an eagle. This sign up in the back says territory. Territory. It says eagles territory. All right. Yeah. Well, you came with the house. I mean, you've spent. You've grown up your whole life in the show. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And I, you're I a lifelong a, Philly. Guy. I was a Randall Cunningham fan. Remember Randall Cunningham? Yeah, he was that, a great quarterback. He punted that like eighty yard punt one. Yeah, and Buddy yeah. Ryan ruined him, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, that was an amazing defensive football team, and the tragedy of Jerome Brown dying. That was yeah. That was um. That was yeah. The Eagles, congratulations, Philadelphia fans. It's it's just awesome. It is awesome. And, you know, those of you who don't live in the Philadelphia area, I mean, one of the most entertaining things as a, again, I'm a a second order Philadelphia fan, so I'm not, it's not as emotional for me, but just listening to Philadelphia sports radio, I mean... The ups and downs. I mean, it's it's like it is like a, it's a it's Shakespearean because one week where they were going to go, you're going to the World Series, you're going to the Super Bowl, we're going to win the Cup. The next week, people are jumping off Ben Franklin Bridge. <laughs> I mean, it is yeah. No, it it it's is a great sports town. It has a bad rap on the national press, but it's a great it's a great sports town, and uh, and uh, it's a fairly people know their sports here too. So it's not it's not an uninformed. 
Except maybe the ostrich stealing guy. I don't know if he knows the sports or not, or the, the people who, what were, you know, the you know, people falling off poles, climbing poles, and things like that. Well, it's funny. My friend Olga lives at, at one of the, the high rise that's at like Broad in Washington. Uh-huh. Very nice, kind of, it's a redone luxury apartment thing. She's like on the seventh floor. I think that's ideal for the to watch a city eat itself. Well, like, that it, <laughs> Like, like to watch it's sort of like the dark night rises where gotham is eating itself yeah the real estate you want and she's her car is locked away she can't turn over to be entertained by a city's own <laughs> self you know like not self well you know i mean flagellation and demise every you know let's face it every city behaves badly after victories or losses what was it like what was the canadian city that went crazy? but not like us <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, Philly is a great city. It is. It's fantastic. It's a great city, and they uh, it was was a great football team, great win, and um, so go Eagles. Yeah, go and Eagles. a great game, and just everything about it. And it's, yeah, and I mean, we and, and the evil empire was brought down. It, it, it's like the, it's like it's what I hope for the Lannisters. <laughs> <laughs> it is Lannister. It was Game of Thrones. Ash. What they need all of a sudden, you know, Nick Foles will show up in the uh, in episode three. Of, yeah. Of uh, uh, by the way, I saw Westworld's back in April. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, favorite commercial? Do you have a favorite commercial? I tend to check out of the commercials. I liked the one with uh, Eli Manning. With Eli, the it was an NFL doing the dirty dancing thing. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Beckham. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about the MLK Dodge thing? The family, I didn't like. I didn't like. It. The family did sign off on it. Well, for money, I'm sure. But you know, King in that speech, it, it, later in the speech, to cry materialism and investing yeah. money in things like cars. Sometimes you know what? Sometimes the commercials. I thought the baby commercial about you know it's all being the same. I thought that was good. So I, I don't like commercials to preach at me. Oh yeah, no, all being the same. I was like, why is this me too? We're gonna have a, and I'm yeah. like, wow, what feminist? And then yeah. it's like T-Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, you get lulled in. Oh, we are better than we are. No, we're not. Yeah. So no, I, yeah, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, that's. Uh, I mean, that would be like using Mary Magdalene to sell perfume or something like. That. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know, there you go. There we go. So I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wasn't big fan of that. I know. I thought the football one was was pretty hilarious. And I thought the Thai commercial was kind of the ongoing where they were they were using Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was clever. Yeah, I thought that was clever, but it was a great game. And um I I watched the halftime. Most of the time I don't unless it's uh, was Prince or Bruno Marx or Bruce Springsteen, I don't tend to watch the halftime, but um uh, I did. And it was okay. And Pink uh, See, did better than you with the flu. Yeah, Philly. I mean, she, she she's a Philly. Doylestown, yeah. yeah I Philly. have friends that like to high school went to high school yeah, there. Yeah. So yeah, I like the fact that apparently, you know, they had her on camera. She spit, I guess she had a throat lozenger. But it looked like, I mean, it was such a pink thing to do right before she started singing. She spit out whatever she had in her mouth on the ground. She's fantastic. Can I make a confession? I we I did not watch the halftime because we were floating between Altered Carbon, which is, we decided to binge watch and the game. And we we had one iPad had the game on and we were watching Altered Carbon on the other iPad. And also, if we missed something real quick, we knew because like at one point, there was a field goal we missed, and we had neighbors on the block, I'm pretty sure, really loud fireworks at every... Oh, yeah. So, like, we knew. And then when the game won, Lindy was on call and had to go actually do something in the hospital, and that's when all the fireworks started. The dogs freaked out. Yeah. And it was really, like... And that's out here in Buck... Like, we're, like, we, like probably, like, seven, eight minutes from the city line. You're even closer. You're, like, yeah. 
three minutes from the city. Well, when I used to have a house. Yeah. Well, no, right now. You oh, are. right now, yeah. You're like the, pretty close to the yeah, Northeast. At the, well, yeah, at the Hotel California. We are kind of right there on the border. Yeah, you're right there. But even your, your, your old yeah, domicile is pretty close. Yeah, close to the Northeast, yeah. 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 And then, yeah. I mean, it's, so it is, it, it's a scene here. It's a scene. It's a happening. It is. It's a happening. So, like I said, not since Rocky beat Apollo Creed have we had such a great <laughs> victory in the city. <laughs> that took two movies. It took two movies. Time. I, I thought the first movie, I thought, you know, the judge call, I thought they, they could have given that victory, though, to Rocky. Yeah. yeah but <clears throat> anyway. Now, the Italian I, have you, the, one of the, I tell you, one of the best, um, it's still, it doesn't matter how old it is. If you're at a Philly sporting event and they do the Rocky clips, whether you had a, you know, it, there's nothing quite, quite like that. And uh, I was at it an, an, last time Sixers made the playoffs. So that was, uh, Right after Lincoln was shot, I think it was, <laughs> and they um, they played you know that scene where I guess Adrian's in the hospital. I guess it is Rocky too. Oh yeah, and she goes, he goes, what, what? she goes, what do you want? And she goes, win. I want you to win. <laughs> and then Burgess Meredith, what are we waiting for? I mean, the whole the whole uh, house went crazy. So. Yeah, it was a great game, Ken. It was one of the best ever, I think. Most entertaining. And, and from the beginning to the end, there wasn't a... I mean, there were only two turnovers in the whole game. And uh, was there punting? I don't, did anyone punt? I don't think there was a punt. I don't think there was a punt. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, at any rate, the Philadelphia Eagles... Are the world champions. World champions of the NFL. It took 52 years. Well, you can't be the world champions of the National Football League. Is that a national champion? It's not an international. The, uh, you, you Bakistan Chargers are con, are contesting that right now. But, uh, yeah. Oh, the, wait. Oh, one was, yeah, there, there was, was one punt. One, okay. All right. Yep. All right. Very good. And we would have two leagues, except, what was it, the AFL? No, AFL merged with the... NFL, that's how NFL. Yeah, but Trump killed that. <laughs> no, no, that was the World Football League. Trump no, killed. what was the one? Oh, he, he was World Football League that he killed. Who, yeah, and Flutie was. Didn't Flutie go to the team he bought? I don't remember who all was on. I do remember Herschel Walker was the big draw in that. And um, yeah, that was a. Yeah, and he, he basically destroyed it. Matter of fact, they, I, one of those 30 for 30s people. I mean, he, you know, he's an awful business person. He, he he ruins everything he touches. He really does. And the people who does business. What if with, we ordered Trump vodka and just sampled it to see what it's like? Maybe it's not bad. That's probably somebody else's vodka, just with his name on. It. That's how that all. That's how all that stuff works. Well, I'd like to. I'd like to know. <laughs> we could have some of his steaks with the vodka. I'm not touching the steaks. <laughs> the who knows where they've been? <laughs> yeah, to touch the steaks. I'm not into that. Yeah, yeah, they're I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being 
a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, Ben Crosby, John Schneider, Steve Lipless, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. So awkward show. transition. Let's talk about games for a minute because also we lost George Limbeck. Yeah, no. Recently. And, and we've lost some giants here of lately in the last, you know, we lost. And we lost two Lutheran giants. I mean, like, I mean, well, I mean, Jansen is the giant, but, but yeah. I mean, a, a smaller giant, but a giant nonetheless, George Limbeck. Yeah, yeah. And uh, matter of fact, the one book that all, most of us, if you went to seminary during a certain couple decades, you read this book, and it was I, I like it was the a, nature of doctrine. It was I, a very important book. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, Lin Beck and the nature of doctrine. Who you know, it's interesting. He was a child of missionaries to China, I think, and became a theologian. And basically, as a young professor at Yale, took his family to observe as a Lutheran delegate the Second Vatican Council, and that shaped his whole hmm. theological outlook. Uh, on life and the nature of doctrine is a book that yeah again it's something that has shaped lots of minds and and as i was rereading parts of it today i thought gosh i need to reread the whole thing and, and think about it more. yeah it's been a while since i read it. i like i said my 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 house is in ruins right now so i don't know where my copy is would you when you would you let me let your copy here after you got i'll buy it? you a copy <laughs> I've returned every book I've loaned. I, but a lot of people have it. I just right. rather buy you the copy. All right. Well, so then good. I don't think about it. Yeah. Or maybe I'll just lend you my copy and buy it. But it has all my notes. In it. I, okay. which, well, my I would notes love are, to have your notes. That'd be like reading Luther's, you know, book on James. I don't want to prejudice you. You already do. Well, there you go. All right. So yeah, and you know, we were talking uh, off uh, line about or off. Yeah, I don't know what you call it. Just on the phone. We were talking. We were talking. <laughs> we're, what, what did people call it? <laughs> yeah, talking. Oh, we're having it? a human con- – it's called a human conversation. Huh. We you, should go to this parade together. Are you sure? Are you sure? We should go to this parade together. We should go to the parade for, together. We will live stream it, though. I have the selfie stick. We can get the whole <laughs> thing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, right. um, but we were having a human conversation. And we were talking about the wide range of people that Limbeck had influenced. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bruce Marshall. Uh, Mark Wallace. Mark Wallace. I mean, there's a, a Peter piece, Oaks. Peter yeah. Oaks. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Harawas. And then, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, just how you. Scott Jones. Scott Jones. Bill Bohr. Exactly. Yeah. Bill Bohr. There you go. You're all Limbeck. I think people that don't even understand, like the whole narrative theology movement. Right. Right. Theology, we get to the narrative, the story. I mean, this comes from the Yale School and and right. Hans Fry and he were colleagues and mm-hmm. some of the Rusty Reno was at Yale at this time and I mean this is a guy that touched so many lives and again part of what it's funny because Marshall in his tribute in the Christian Century talks about this that like basically Limbeck said you know basically he wrote the nature of doctrine for an ecumenical and interreligious world which everyone ignored, <laughs> and just read it for the theolo- theoretical underpinnings, right. which are interesting, right. and, and it's and it's you know I mean that's 
how, again, most people read it, but basically the shorthand on the book is he, he thinks that for most of Christian history, there's something which he calls the cognitive propositional model, that when we're doing theology, we're, we're basically drafting propositions that have a correspondence to some metaphysical reality. And there's roughly, we're trying to have some kind of correspondence from, from proposition to reality. Which again, there are nuances there. We could bring in the nominalist, the realist, the Platonist stuff. Sure. Like, if you're really close to Plato, that's the ultimate goal, right? right. If you're a nominalist, you're skeptical on that. And if you're someone like Thomas Aquinas, you're somewhere in between, okay, right? right? But, and then he thinks that more common in modernity is something like as the Enlightenment kind of erodes at, at, you know, every, or at least changes the, the contours of reality. That he says it gives way to something called experiential expressivism, which really, when we do, when we're talking about Christian doctrines, we're not talking about cognitive propositions that then correspond, that we're, you know, intellectually formulating that correspond to some metaphysical reality. We're basically ex- coming up with symbolic equivocal language for universal religious experience. Hmm. And so, and his, his, again, his archetypes for this is Aquinas on one hand and Schleiermacher on the other. Now, again, I think that all topologies suffer from the explanatory power corresponds to reductive analysis right, <laughs> in any right. topology, because there's no topology that perfectly describes everybody or else it'd just be the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what, as soon as you're topologizing, you're reductive. But his model is the cultural Thus linguistic the, model. Uh, the uh, enneagram. Yes, the, uh, which is the <laughs> exception to that rule. Uh. By the way, since we're streaming this, I'm just putting up some comments. Here's one about off-the-color commentator list. Todd Littleton, Brady fanboy off-the-color. Okay, there we go. I, I like. I actually like Chris Collinsworth, but anyway. This is where like the, the Facebook Live experience is different. Oh, we had another comment, Bill. No Luther bashing today. <laughs> <laughs> Try saying something negative. No, I'm going to make this like radio. This comes to us from a fan out of Michigan. Michigan. No, no Luther bashing today. Try saying something negative. I have this theory that Jason gets pinged whenever anyone says anything negative about Luther on social media. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Jason Michelli. That might be true. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, made, I've said my piece last week. We're actually... We're going to, um, our discussion all weekend from our ongoing conversation, our human conversation. <laughs> we're talking as, as carbon based units. As carbon based life forms. Uh, our, our, own, our post discussion, we've got about two or three more uh, podcasts from. Oh, uh, yeah, we, know. yeah. We have so, a ton of Luther yeah, conversations. Yeah. And actually, we, uh, we, we really were trying to wrap our minds around. Uh, you did some, you really did some helpful things about uh, what's appealing about. Um, Luther's view of the sacrament. I'm sorry, that was a positive thing. That's not going to be. Yeah, well, sorry. we'll come up with something, I'm sure. <clears throat> I'm sure. Give us a the few minutes. The podcast is young. Yeah, it's young. <laughs> anyway, back to. So, so, in between the cognitive proposition <coughs> model, which is sort of what we think of as scholastic theology, or we think of as. Systematics. It's, it, well, can, it, it, mostly in today, in North America, conservative evangelical circles. Right. And you think of the liberal stuff as experiential expressivist where you know you're thinking about, well we're all talking about kind of the same thing and it's just the you know the latitudinarianism right the concept of the whole the rudolf otto or elion and not that i mean these are reductive takes sure. on those authors yeah. but this is if you go to the world parliament religions old school you know middle of the century 
as people are trying to kind of grasp religious diversity. And into that, Lindbeck posits the cultural linguistic model, where it's like actually learning, like theology is, or, or a religion is more like a language game, like Wittgenstein says. It's like, it's like learning to play football. Like there's a whole kind of cultural linguistic framework, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, there are rules, but what, what, but you don't teach anybody football by just telling them the rules, although you're always cognizant of, cognizant of the rules while right. you're in practice. Well, that's past interference, but there's drills. And so but the game is the teacher. The game, yeah, the, the game in the comprehensive sense. So like, that would be like, he would say the, the problem with the cognitive propositional model would be, it's like saying um, something about offsides, you know, like, you know, like an obscure rule of offsides or something and saying that means something. Right. Yeah. The problem with the experiential expressivist thing is that, well, all the sports are the same and they're all kind of, you know, this is something I always do in philosophy classes around kind of nominalist realism. I always say, what's a sport? And everybody says, ah, like baseball, football. Well, and somebody always does an outlier like bowling. You know, people always say, well, is bowling a sport? Well, then does it involve a ball, a team or this or that? And so this complicated, messy thing between. It's an evolutionary dead end as well. Exactly. Well, there you go. It's an bowling sport. Bowling. No, no, <laughs> bowling is definitely. We have a new bowling. We have a new like fancy bowling place in Feasterville. Do you like to bowl? Uh, no, I mean, I do. I enjoy it. I've had good times, especially <laughs> if there's karaoke with the bowling. All right. Well, we have to but, try. Well, but I'm not. I'm not like I think it's. Let's put that on our list. We have to go bowl. We're gonna go to the parade. Go bowling. Together. <laughs> we're gonna go golf. golfing. We're gonna do all this stuff together and have human conversation while we're doing it. But some of some of Limbeck's drive on this is how do you explain doctrinal differences in evolution? He thinks that if you're making these propositional statements, right, that agree once for all time metaphysical, then someone's right, someone's wrong right. forever. Whereas if you can think of this as, you know, very like let's say Christianity is one big language game, and yet there are variations on it. You know, like, uh, you know, um, American League, National League. You got you know designated hitters, or you can play pure baseball with a pitcher. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? Which I don't know. I like designated hitters, but but there is like, where you see these family resemblances, and and yet, and so how do you maybe you merge and play a different game, and yet also. You know, Bruce Marshall, his student, who became a Catholic eventually, <laughs> most of his great students became Catholic, or many. And you know, he's saying, well, aren't you just kind of some old school nominalist and really relativist? And he said, no, I'm kind of like a moderate Thomist. And so, but Limbeck wanted to say, well, now, actually, I'm trying to find a way beyond correspondence versus coherence idea of truth. Yeah. Like, what, like the, actually, the coherence of the whole thing is is what corresponds not individual cherry-pick propositions. You have to look at the thing in toto. Yeah, you know, it's really, for instance, I'm thinking about, um, for instance, you're sitting in a room and you say, three people say they're Trinitarians, okay? But you might have a feminist theologian who in essence is a modalist in her, uh, because for very different concerns than the evangelical who's a modalist, you know, who prays to Jesus, you know, uh, and treats, in some levels, treats, you know, you know and I think that's an Who is the third Trinitarian? Third Trinitarian was me with the right answer. Oh, I thought you were going to, I was hoping you were going to say Mike Pence. (laughs) (laughs) 
No. No, because he couldn't be in the room without his wife. Is there booze at the thing? Because <laughs> if there's booze, tell me the gender. This is like a medieval proposition. <laughs> well, is Mike Pence in the room? Tell me the genders of everyone involved if there's booze. <laughs> and how many people were there? And I can tell you if Pence could have been. And, and there could be as many angels as possible there because they're, they're not they gender. No but, uh, and they have no mass. Oh, there we go. There we go. So... But no, I think it's, I think that's a really interesting because so on one level, there's a label that we give ourselves. Okay. Or the label we look under. And, um, sometimes I think, you know, when in doubt, go to Halleck, Halleck. And, uh, sometimes that's, it's helpful to understand that regardless of sometimes what people say their faith position is, what's really being driving their project is often similar things, similar sentiments. Right. And that's, and that's what Limbeck was trying. And he was also really influential in the conversations leading up to and that, accomplished the joint declaration um, between Lutherans and Catholics uh-huh, yeah. on justifications. I mean, this is... Yeah, and Carfrey Follick was involved in that. Yeah, so. and this was part of his life's work about how to come to think about theology. Which, by the way, is a great little book. If you can get a copy of it, those whole dialogues around that, Justification by Faith, all those conferences, really, really helpful little book. I don't know that book. I I have it, I think. <laughs> you know, yeah. No, I mean, Carl Froelich wrote a, uh, Limbeck has a chapter, I think Limbeck has a chapter in it, Froelich has a chapter, but it's a very, it was, it was the Catholic Lutheran consultations where that agreement came out of. And, and let me say, like, I think my own, my reservations about the Limbeck stuff are around one of his Catholic students who just had a reflection first thing, so which we'll put in the show notes, but, but I might be reconsidering them. I think my, wariness about it is again and and this is seeing its evangelical reception is you were mentioning this the other day like you grow up in a community that has a kind of wooden view of inerrancy you you get some education and just some life experience you realize this kind of thing is a placeholder that could become an idol then you replace it with a more sophisticated placeholding idol which is usually something like the narrative of the community or the community. Right. So, and, and no, it's, I'm rethinking Lindbeck. I don't know that Lindbeck says that. Like, I, I think, again, Lindbeck is trying to find a way between these kind of coherence theories of truth, where truth is all just an intertextual game versus a correspondence view that every truth claim we make corresponds to some metaphysical, some reality mm-hmm. there. And trying to say, hey, well, the correspondence comes in the coherence of something communal. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, but like, I've often seen it play out in a way that leads to, in mainline circles, a kind of cul-de-sac. Like, okay, we're doing our cultural linguistic game, living the narrative of the church, or or an evangelical Prometheanism. We're like, all right, now we're living the story of the church, and that's where we get the narrative of the kingdom, and we're that's where it's at. And so, I think the those have been my, you know, in my life, my reservations. But I think, as in in light of his passing and some stuff. I read recently. I'm rereading my Lindbeck. Yeah, there's a kind of humility to the project. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting to me, um, um, you know, um, another prickly uh, church. You know where there's not a lot of humility? Where? Tom Brady. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Well, he, he, he does live a pretty charmed life. It, it is a tough thing to be humble if you're Tom Brady. It is hard. It would be hard to be tough. Uh, uh, but he's just kind of a, a whack job a bit. Well, you, you know, know, that whole, that, all that dye stuff he does, it has no scientific really background in it. But at any rate, but, you know, um, I, I think he, uh, he does go home to a supermodel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, how many rings? And beautiful kids. Five, five rings. Um, no, I was thinking, you know, uh, another prickly, Church's story, history people, John Wesley, uh, who um, 
I, I don't know. I, some, sometimes I think of Luther and Wesley in kind of similar way because they just they're the, the the brilliance of their project. I mean, the, the incredible. I mean, their energy. Their they were both churchmen in the best sense of the way. And of course, part of Wesley's you know view uh, his Armenian um, views created a, a break with George Whitfield, and uh, it was a and it was all, it was all on the Wesleyan side. I mean, Whitfield didn't want it. But it uh, created. As Ben Franklin said, Whitfield could make you cry just by saying Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Yeah. But, Bill, I'm going to say Mesopotamia three times. See if you cry. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but um, one of, um, one of Ruth, or Wesley's associates, you know, kind of caught up in the whole thing said, Do you think we'll see George Whitfield in heaven, uh, Brother Wesley? And to which John Wesley said, No, he'll be so much further ahead than we will. We won't. We won't be able to see him. So, which to me—that's what Bill often says about me. Just that so I won't be able I've, to I've just, just people have sent that to me and said, yeah, "Please don't tell Bill." I think but of, now I'm telling you. Bill. I think George Whitfield <laughs> and Scott Jones; those things—they come together. But to me, there's the spirit—a little bit of what they didn't agree theologically. It actually created a organizational or relational break between the two of them. But Wesley had enough grace and understanding. He knew the quality of Christian that George Whitfield was and was still able to grant that. So I think to me, you know, that's even part of what getting back to, that's part of what you and I said in our human conversation after last, <laughs> you know, after the last Dude, podcast. We should say, you know, always people are like, if you become like a gold level sponsor, we'll invite you to our human conversation. Once a month, you get to have a human conversation with us. But I think... Believe believe me, there's not more to us, there's less. <laughs> but there's a kind of tragedy that whether you're talking about Marburg or uh, some of the greatest Christians that ever lived were Catholics, and, you know, some of the Catholic saints of the 16th century and uh, the accomplishment. And there might be a saintly baptized ostrich stealer somewhere out there in Philadelphia. Odds <laughs> are that guy's baptized. Uh, right. we're, hold on, we're going to... We're all going to put our heads on the desk. Please bring the ostrich <laughs> bring back. Bring the ostrich back. Bring the ostrich back. Save the ostrich. But what I'm saying is, it's it, you know, Limbeck, I think, wants to recognize that there are people of goodwill, uh, people who are theologically sophisticated, people who say their prayers who don't agree. Yeah. And, and, um, and how to theologically accommodate that? Like, or, or not even, I mean, how to make sense of it? And that's, and what, what he's seeing is on one hand, this cognitive propositional model that, like, it gets really tough to... to it becomes a zero-sum game. And then the experiential expressivists who are paving over difference, when everybody knows there's real differences right. in the room. Well, like, it, that, you know, that's not willing... Do you mean that kind of piety or that kind of Christianity? It's not willing... It's, you know, having brunch and reading the Sunday New York Times is more appealing, <laughs> ultimately, to that. So what is... Well, either way, you're not out stealing ostriches. <laughs> <laughs> either one. <laughs> I, I, I bet you, I have a strong feeling... The guy stole the ostrich. Did not read the Sunday New York Times or the Philadelphia Inquirer for that. But I think realize that only there's only one privileged position. That God's the only one from privileged yeah, position, yeah. and uh, we um, we celebrate the work of George Lindbeck of blessed memory. Yeah, and the Eagles' victory. Thank you, God. And also, it was predicted by last week's uh, lectionary reading from Isaiah: "They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall, they shall walk in that faith." And they shall run and not grow weary. Exactly. Amen. Amen.